Hey, it's the BWI Daily Edition. I know, I know, I know, I know. We just talked about recruiting and the, the, the whiteout game and how crazy that was. But here's the deal. Ohio State is coming into town. And that means another huge weekend for recruiting, another crazy list of players. We're going to be getting into that. We're going to preview the weekend and, of course, get Ryan Snyder's best bets on the BWI Daily Edition. If you're seeing his smiling face, it means it's Friday. Or it means it's Tuesday, but when I'm here, it means it's Friday. Ryan Snyder, he is our recruiting insider talking about all things Penn State football recruiting, and he's our resident sharp. So we're going to give you Ryan Snyder's best bets. Ryan, are you ready to deliver on Friday? I haven't delivered the last two weeks as far as best bets. I'm one in three this past week, man. I'm, I'm bummed. This is the first time I've ever been four games below 500 doing best bets. So we need to have a big week. All right, we'll get to that in just a little bit, but there's uh, some big news for Penn State football fans. Something you wrote today at bluewhiteillustrated.com. You can sign up for 10 bucks and get until next football season. So sign up right now so you get all this information before you have to wait hours and hours and hours for the podcast to come out. But Ryan, what's what do you got for us today? Uh, just joining Sean on the bandwagon with a, a Jalen Harvey RPM pick. Uh, Sean put this in back on October 12th and... You know, there's no no signs that Harvey's really ready to commit anytime soon. But there's there's two big things that just kind of everything's falling in line. One, he's he's returning for the third straight game this weekend. Uh, you know, of course, went to the Northwestern game, came back last week for Minnesota, and now he's expected to be here again for Ohio State. You know, that's his fifth visit overall since. Um, I believe the spring, I think it's April, June, and now these three visits. So a lot of, a lot of positive signs there, you know, but the, the one thing a lot of people keep talking about though, is just his relationship with Chop Robinson. Of course, Chop Robinson played at the school, Quince Orchard. Uh, that, that, that's a, um, you know, a really positive relationship and, and one that uh, I think is really going to pay off for Penn state. And I, I think even if Chop wasn't here, Penn state would be a top school, but uh, just, just, his progression here and, and how yeah. well chops uh, enjoyed his time here. That's really kind of getting out there to, to Jalen and really all the guys at his, at his former school. And, and, you know, one thing I'd add too is chop uh, also uh, trained with Dominic Nichols, who's another guy we have an RPM picking for. They, they trained in the spring uh, before chop got here. I think it was winter, spring, somewhere in that, that time frame. So, uh, you know, just chops having a, a, a positive impact on a few defensive ends in the Maryland area. Of course, Jalen, Dominic Nichols, and, uh, you know, I just think all things are, are pointing in Penn State's direction. So will, will it be this weekend? I, I don't think it'll be this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, anything could anything could happen. But as of as of, uh, you know, Friday afternoon, it, it doesn't sound like he's ready to do that yet. But but I do think, uh, you know, the Lions are the firm favorite here. So a couple of interesting things crop to my mind when we talk about this particular situation and how positive things are. What has been Penn State's success at Quince Orchard over the years? And is this, obviously this is a step in the right direction, but is this enhancing that? Because I, I know from what we've talked about, this is a very quality school producing a lot of good talent in that region. So what's the history like been there? And is this a positive change? Uh, there's not, there's not, there's nothing. It's not like McDonough or anything like that. I wouldn't okay. say that. Uh, I, I would just say it's, it's chops, uh, you know, relationship. Uh, or, I mean, I, I think just the lot of, a lot of talk is like, I don't know about his time at Maryland, but like there's a lot of people who just have continuously suggested that that Chops really 
really enjoyed his time at Penn State, and that's just kind of getting out to to the, to the guys down there. But but there's no, I don't think there's anything there, you know, in, in depth with the school that uh, okay, you know, like there's a pipeline or anything like that. Okay, yeah, that's always when you now that I'm kind of getting used to getting a lay of the land and knowing some of the the places and, and some of the names, I think that's always a, a thing in the back of your head if you're if you're following this is okay. Is this going to lead to more than just a, you know, obviously getting Chop Robinson is huge. And then if you can get Jalen Harvey and that comes through and then does it snowball, do you build on these things? And that, that's just that's an interesting situation. So uh, that for Penn State fans, positive sign, another pass rusher. Penn State's always done uh, historically pretty well there at that position uh, when it comes to the whiteout. Lot of instant reaction, a lot of good news, but you've had the chance to talk to a couple players in depth and have some conversations. Just give us the high level, the response to the whiteout now that you've had some more specific talks with players this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a couple guys we, we've had talks with this week since uh, Sean and I did the pod on Tuesday. Uh, really good talk with Anthony Specka. I've talked about Anthony a lot. Uh, I, I still firmly feel like this is a Penn State Michigan battle. Tennessee's in the mix, but I, I just think that there's a there's a good gap there, and and he's going to most likely end up at one of these two Big Ten schools. I've thought for a little while now that if I had to to pick a school, it would be Michigan, and and I really wondered uh, how, how that how that Michigan loss would have potentially impacted Penn State. I, I left that conversation thinking for the first time that Penn State might be the, the team to beat there, and you know a couple of reasons why. I mean, one, since September 1st, he says, you know, that really his his interest in Penn State has just consistently grown as much as any other school. You know, uh, like I said, I, I thought Michigan was the favorite in the summer, and it just kind of feels like Penn State's uh, caught up to them. I mean, I, I think out worse. This is truly 50-50, and, and I do believe if I had to pick a pick today, I think it, I think it would be Penn State. So that's a positive. Of course, he's also really close with Tamir Robinson, Lamont Payne. Uh, he talked about getting to know some of the committed guys this weekend. I know Cooper Cousins was a guy he he spoke with the uh, spoke highly of. So uh, let's keep an eye on that. You know, uh, Anthony doesn't have any other additional visits set for the uh, fall uh, right now. It, it sounds like his next couple of visits will be uh, you know, early 2023. And I, I honestly could see him, you know, going to Penn state and Michigan, maybe one more time and making a decision. He's, he's not saying that, but just uh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me just, just because I truly do believe those two schools are, are well ahead of everybody else. Uh, Chance Robinson, uh, 2024 wide receiver from St. Thomas Aquinas caught up with him as well. Didn't realize the, uh, the detail, the background of that relationship that to, to the extent that it is until I caught up with him, uh, Really, of course, Jaywon Slater get, gets everything rolling down there in South Florida, but Taylor Stubblefield's built a really strong relationship. Kenny Sanders is very involved there, and 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 Chance is already talking about coming back for an official visit uh, at at some point mm-hmm. down down the road. So, uh, just just I think he's becoming a player we're going to have to talk about more for twenty twenty four wide receivers. You know, right now he's ranked two hundred three in the nation. Uh, bio on three, a, a solid four star prospect there, and of course, Penn State's really building that pipeline. At Aquinas, you know, they have King Mack and Conrad Hussey committed. I think Jordan Lyle, the running back 2024, is, is another player who's seriously going to consider Penn State. So I think Chance Robinson just, you know, there's there's a handful of 2024 receivers we've we've talked about a good bit. I think we need to add Chance Robinson to that list. So uh, two positive updates from 2024 guys there. And then I also caught up with uh, the staff at uh, St. Thomas More about Joseph McCoy, uh, you know, I mean, the main thing I really wanted to get out of that was just who are the other schools involved there? Because I do feel pretty good in saying that uh, 
if 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 McCoy could just go anywhere, I think it would be Penn State. Uh, I know his mom's very high on Penn State. It's, it seems to be like the, the closest school to her, and, and that's going to be important. So I, I do feel like he's Penn State's to lose. I just the, the, the question really is, you know, continuing to watch his development and, and see where yeah. he's up at the end of the year. And then also just kind of when the coaching carousel comes, uh, how does that impact uh, who Penn State may go after, whether it's defensive end or defensive tackle? So they only got a handful of scholarships left right now. If I had to make uh, make a pick for somebody, it makes sense for him. But let's see uh, who starts looking around when uh, coaches start getting cut. Yeah, we are 15 seconds away from November at this point. And that's when everything starts to happen, when kind of the fates start to be decided so that uh, coaching staffs that are coming in can get ahead of this and can try and keep players in recruiting classes. Um, one last T Frank off the wall question. Something I read recently was that, uh, this is going to be one of the wildest Decembers because of the transfer portal and NIL first time. This has all been kind of full force at the same time. Uh, are you thinking in like everything that you think is won't be, or the, how are you treating that kind of, uh, crucible of information coming in December. Like, I guess, what are what are you predicting, oh, yeah. or what are you looking at in in terms of that? A bunch of freshmen got paid this year, yeah. and a bunch of juniors and seniors didn't. Enough said, right? I mean, that, that's yeah. really what it comes down to. A bunch of freshmen, because of these collectives. I, I don't know Penn State situation, but I'd be willing to bet that Nick Singleton and Drew Aller make. A lot makes substantially more than the rest of that team. I don't know about Sean Clifford. Of course, Sean's very involved with NIL. You know, he has his little uh, agency situation that Sean's making making good money. And there's other guys on that team that are making um, some some real some real money. But Drew and Nick, I'd be shocked if they're not in in the top five. And and that's just not that's not what Penn State man. That's that's all across the country. Uh, So yeah, a bunch of a bunch of the youngest players on all these teams are making more than the guys who have played considerably over the last couple of years. And that is about to probably open up the fuck. No, not probably. It will open up the floodgates this year, but I mean, it, it's not wrong. The floodgates have been opening a lot uh, over the last couple of years as it is. So yeah. I don't know how it'll stack up to others, but I just, I wouldn't be surprised at all. If you're seeing some quality players that you never thought would, would leave, uh, they they test the waters uh, because of just because of pure financial reasons. Sounds like we need to get Patrick Kraft on the show to have a conversation about that because that's going to be a huge thing coming up in the next couple of months. Uh, but coming up tomorrow, if you're watching this on Friday in the BWI Daily Edition, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and like the video, please. It helps us so much in terms of reach, in terms of scope, in terms of letting other Penn State fans know about this show. And I think we do the best job. We are the premier YouTube show for certain on the Penn State football beat. We are one of the top podcasts. And for the people that listen on the podcast version, that download and subscribe and all that, I love you. Thank you so much. Tell your friends. Like There are thousands hundreds of thousands there's 110,000 Penn State football fans out there we're just trying to get a slice of that pie but I am a hungry person I want the whole pie so there's a big game coming up tomorrow Penn State versus Ohio State another huge recruiting list what have you been able to sleuth out so far this week and what are the names that you think are important to know yeah so uh, obviously, with it being a new kick, uh, it, it's going to be down considerably compared to what you saw last week. I mean, it'll probably be slashed in half, really, when it comes to uncommitted uh, scholarship guys. You know, last week I said I think the number was 51-ish, somewhere in that ballpark. 
if it if it gets over 20 this week, I think that's good. And that's just that's the reality of the situation when you're talking about a massive noon kick and, and the traffic that's going to be involved with that. And and of course, a lot of these guys are playing, excuse me, their, their final regular season game, uh, obviously, t- t- tonight. So that that it's it just makes it a difficult situation to get a lot of guys on campus. So when I look at the 2024 list, though, a couple guys stand out. I mean, we are expecting Quentin Martin to be there. Uh, I would still say it's more tentative than an absolute lock. Uh, but the good the good news there with, with Quinton is I know a couple of his teammates uh, are expected to come as well. You know, not that his teammates couldn't come without him, but obviously uh, it's just it's a good thing when when uh, a group is going, you know, compared to an individual. It just makes it sometimes peer a pressure. Back out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little yeah, bit of peer uh, pressure. Right. And so that's just something to keep an eye on. I, I would say I, I feel like Quinton should be there, but just from, from speaking with people close to Belvern today, they, they did still kind of say it's still a little more tentative than an absolute lock. So let's see if he makes it up. And I think that's just because of the noon kick, because of a game tonight. You know, you're at, I mean, really, if they want to get up there tomorrow and, and, uh, you know, get in the recruiting lounge and do all the things that, that is, that you need to do during pregame to really enjoy the experience, you're talking about leaving it like five in the morning, right? And these yeah. are still teenagers. So it's just, let's see how that shakes out. Uh, Michael Van Buren. hard. <laughs> right. I mean, Greg and I are going to leave it like, you know, six tomorrow. And I'm like, uh, you sure you don't want to push it back a little bit? But um, Michael Van Buren, quarterback from St. Uh, Francis Academy. Michael put it out this week on Twitter that he'll be there. Uh, Van Buren's been on campus a handful of times now. Still trying to really get a better feel for Penn State's quarterback board. It's going to be one of those boards that I think uh, early 2023 we can really figure out. I mean, no doubt in my mind, Jaden Davis is, is the top guy. But Jaden Davis feels like Dante Moore last year, the top guy. But is Penn State going to be there in the end? You know, the fact that he didn't make it up for the whiteout game when he was originally thinking about it kind of says a lot. You know, he is going to Michigan this weekend for the Michigan State game. I just I just think there's a handful of schools ahead of him. So, you know, you got Michael Van Buren. You got Luke Cromenhoek. You got Jaden Bradford. You got K.J. Jackson. Don't want to forget some Maj Jones down at uh, St. St. Joseph's Prep, of course. So you got a handful of guys there that uh, – just things got to kind of get shaken out there. So let's see where Van Buren stacks up, but getting him back on campus is a positive to me. I think one of the biggest visitors this weekend that uh, maybe fans don't know a lot about, and it's because Keelan doesn't do a lot of interviews is Keelan, Keelan Adams uh, at a green run uh, in Virginia beach. Uh, I, I've been trying to get in touch with Keelan and, and write about him a little bit more. And he's a good kid, you know, communicates and stuff, just isn't into doing interviews really. So uh, just still trying to learn a little bit more about his interest in Penn State. But what I do know is that Penn State is incredibly interested in him. I mean, he, I, I feel comfortable saying that he is one of their most important wide receiver targets in this class. You know, right now he's ranked number 120 in the nation by on three. He's the 15th ranked receiver and the third player, third ranked player in Virginia. So uh, I believe this is Keelan's second trip to Penn state. He was at the last bash. I believe it was in, in July, you know, uh, North Carolina, Virginia tech, West Virginia pit, you know, but men, uh, some of the bigger regional schools uh, he, he's visited so far. And uh, this should be his second trip to Penn state. I think Virginia tech's the only school he's visited more. So uh, hopefully I can get a little bit of feedback on Keelan after this visit, uh, because it's, it's an important one for him and, and a player that I think, We'll be talking about more in early 2023. Uh, just right now, he's just, like I said, not really into doing interviews, and it's just hard to, to get a lot of information there. So uh, w- one other one other 2024 guy I got to mention, too, is Kyle Altooner, uh, three-star offensive lineman from Good Counsel. Kyle's been up a handful of times now. I think this is oh, – I mean, I'm trying to remember. This is third or fourth visit. I think I want to say this is going to be his fourth visit. because I, I know he was up for camp in uh, June – 
And I know he was at the Indiana game last year. And then I think there was a spring practice visit sprinkled in there as well. Uh, but Notre Dame, Maryland, Michigan State, Tennessee are a handful of the top schools. Michigan as well. I don't want to forget yeah. them um, to, who have offered Kyle so far. Um, you know, quality player. Like yeah, like, I mean, he's a quality player. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, going back to, you know, really Drew Shelton and seeing, well, Landon Tangwall, the style of offensive lineman that Penn State has been recruiting out of high school, the physicality, the violence. You just see it here if you watch it on YouTube, the amount of power this guy has compared to maybe some of the guys you saw previous. And I just, I keep coming back to that as a hallmark of what they're recruiting now. And I just find that fascinating, like, that this mm -hmm. conversation that we're having about the Penn State offensive line it's not like internally they don't see the same thing. And it, it's just interesting every time I see a new offensive lineman kind of reinforce what they're going for at the position. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, nothing really there with Kyle right now that you know, suggests any school is a, a true favorite. I do know there's a relationship with Landon Tangwall, who, of course, wants a good counsel. So uh, let's just see how it shakes out and, and progresses in, in the months ahead. Uh, do you want to go through some 2025 guys? What's your thoughts yeah. on? Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah let's a couple let's 20... talk about a couple 2025 guys. Yeah, I won't. I won't uh, take too long on this one. There's there's four guys that really kind of stand out to me here. Uh, Fahim Delane is going to be I think he's a potential five star player. He's also from good counsel. He's uh, uh, Altooner's teammate. I have him as a safety six one one ninety five. Really got to watch him a lot at Penn State seven on seven this year, and you know, for only being a sophomore physically, he's already pretty impressive and a really smart player too. Now, I was only seven on seven. I don't want to overthink it, but you know, just from watching some of his uh, you know seven on seven action this year, he he, he knows how to uh, you know just just decipher a field really is, is the best mm -hmm. way to put it. But uh, every every top school you can think of is going to be after him. Ohio State, Alabama's already offered. Texas A and M's already offered. I believe USC. Uh, is another one. But, you know, if he continues to come back to Penn State, I believe this is his uh, – the note is his third visit at least, and it might might be his fourth already, which is uh, pretty impressive for a 2025 guy. There's a handful of guys who have been up here that many times. But uh, um, that amount plus how his stature, you know, he's going to be a high four-star minimum. Uh, I think he's, he's going to be a player that's very – I mean, he already is a, a very important player, but somebody we'll be talking about a lot if Penn State can – Stick in the mix with some of those nation's top schools. Uh, just a couple others. Tariq Hayer, I'll roll through. St. John's cornerback uh, out of Maryland, 5'11", uh, 175. Virginia Tech, South Carolina, Maryland, Old Miss are a couple of schools who have offered. He participated in the whiteout camp early this year. Got to watch him against uh, a handful of players. I remember he had one or two nice plays against Yazid Hayes. Uh, quality player, you know, another guy who's up and coming. Let's see how he stacks up, but he should be a four-star player when it's all said and done. And then two others, uh, Michael Thomas, the, the third out of Donovan Catholic in New Jersey, quality wide receiver who also camped with Penn State this year. And then Deshaun Burnett, linebacker out of Pittsburgh, 6'2", 200. I believe this will be Deshaun's third or I think his third visit to Penn State already. I got to watch him. Uh, no, actually, excuse me, this is like, actually, this is Deshaun's fourth or fifth visit, actually. Let me think about that. Because he's he's been up for, he was here last week. He was there at the last bash. And then I think he was here twice, uh, either in the summer or spring. So, yeah, no, visit number five, excuse me. Uh, it, with Burnett, I mean, he's already stacking up a bunch of offers. Uh, West Virginia, Pitt are some of the most recent ones. I think Virginia Tech's about to offer. And uh, I, I think in three, four months from now, you're going to see him well over a dozen offers. He, he's a very good looking linebacker prospect. And then Michael Thomas too, he's 5'10", 175, uh, but, but a really, uh, you know, just sure hand, a smart player. Uh, Michigan's already offered him West Virginia, Maryland, uh, Pitt. Oh, I always hit my mic during this podcast. I don't like, <laughs> anyway, 
a bunch of good schools for uh, Michael Thomas. Getting and, animated. Uh, you know, yeah, another another player to keep an eye on there out of New Jersey. So uh, I, I would say, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. you go ahead. I thought you were finishing. You go ahead, and then I have something I got to say. Yeah, there, there's a handful of other guys coming uh, that we're still kind of working on, even as late this morning. I do think we're going to see a handful of guys come in from Cali, which we have not okay. seen very, very often. Shakir Collins is a player I've been talking about a little bit uh, over the last couple of days. Um, you know, just, just I'll be curious to see if they make it here. They're supposed to be here. Um, but like Brandon Baker is a really good offensive lineman that's supposed to be coming in. Jordan Davison is a really good running back. Uh, both of them are out of modern day. And then there's a handful of other guys, too. Like I said, Shakir Collins. I forget Shakir's school off the top of my head. I know he's a quality linebacker prospect. I think it's like Oro Grande, California. I don't one of those. Anyway, he's 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 a good looking 2024 prospect, three star player. But, uh, you know, it's I'd be, I mean, think about coming from California for a noon kick. Yeah. Um, I, I believe the flights are all booked. All that stuff is there. So, um, you know, just I've been trying to get in touch with, you know, the adults leading this trip to just kind of verify some information. Because uh, I had like last week, for example, this same group told us they were coming to the whiteout. And uh, eventually later in the week, they told us they, they couldn't make it. So uh, it looks like they're going to be here for the Ohio State game. That, that Jordan Davison, by the way, running back out of modern day, is ranked number 22 uh, in the nation right now uh, in the on three consensus as a 2025 prospect. And then Brandon Baker is a is a four star quality prospect for 2024 offensive tackle. We have it like six five, two eighty five ish. So you know, maybe he'll be a guard. We'll we'll see about that down the road. But uh, he he's got a handful of awesome offers as well from Oregon, USC, bunch of bunch of Western schools, and then uh, Ohio State's another one as well. So. Uh, yeah, man. It, well, let's see if those guys make it out here. But if they make it out here, you know, it, it'll really, uh, you know, pad the uncommitted scholarship guys who will be here. Uh, it's super interesting always to have a little bit of a, a a twist there at the end in terms of players that are coming, players that are visiting. I want to go back to Michael Thomas for one quick irrelevant thing, which is why I wanted you to go first, uh, because mm-hmm. you had actual information. We need to put a pause on football players named Michael Thomas for a while because I'm getting confused. There are too many in the NFL. Now there's another one I got to keep a track on. Like hopefully, uh, not that I'm hoping that anyone retires early, but hopefully one of these Michael Thomases will retire before we add another one into the mix. So, and, and by the way, two first names, Michael Thomas for your name. Like, come on, what is that? Anyway, um, um, oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do the math. I think we have. We have 12 of them in our in our database. I was trying to do a quick count while you're doing there. But yeah, we've got a ton of them uh, in, in our database. Of course, Michael Thomas in the NFL, everybody knows. But uh, yeah, over the years, there's been quite a few Michael Thomases and quite a few wide receiver Michael Thomases too, which is That's interesting what I'm saying. at that. But yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a popular name. All right, let's get to the most popular segment of the day. That is Ryan Snyder's Best Bets. I think this is going to be one of the best seasons Toledo's ever had. Uh, we'll do the official play will be minus seven and a half first half. Degenerate in me sometimes watches a little Hawaii, you know. Uh, Stanford, I'll, I'll, I'll play 12 with Stanford. Vanderbilt stinks. I had them last week against Notre Dame. That was a winner. Time to get the inside scoop on Ryan Snyder's best bets. And because... Because here's the deal. Most people probably don't do this part 
right up front. But because we're journalists here, we're, we believe in the truth and integrity. Uh, here's last week. Here's the season. And I know you got a better in. I've, I know you're better than this. I, we, the so, career record is there. It's a, I, I was wrong last week though. I'm a, I I got a, I missed a game last week when I was doing our total. I'm actually 13 and 16 on the year. I did right. miss a game while doing the math the other day. Uh, and I did that last week, of course. So that that's on me. I that, I I gave you 12 and 16, uh, or what was whatever our record was last week. I did miss a game, so I'm 13 and 16 on the year, 54 and 45 overall. But yeah, I had two back to back one and three weeks, uh, which is which is frustrating because I I don't think I've ever been. Uh, three four games below 500 uh, we were always like right around 500 or one or two below and then we had a great uh, second half of the year thanks d frank for giving me that extra win because i i was trying to do the quick the math real quick last week and uh i i left out a win that i had so all right anyway we're, we're below 500 though so we need to write the ship this week so here's here's my plan all right i have four games that we'll go through but before we go to ohio state and penn state i gotta i'm gonna we're gonna do quantity this week instead of just quality which okay. which means we're probably setting up for like a two and five week or something like that but um i'm gonna i'm gonna throw some extras in there that i didn't give you originally okay. t frank so perfect uh we're gonna we're gonna really th throw things out there and, and see if we can get the stats back up all right let's start with arizona state minus 12 at colorado uh i'm gonna take the over in this one at 46 uh you can probably find a 46 and a half right now uh, 46 was where it was at yesterday. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, we can, we can do 46, 46 and a half, whatever it is. Uh, but when I, when I look at these two teams, um, it's really just kind of look at what's happened this year. Uh, for example, Colorado has allowed 38 to TCU. They allowed 41 to Arizona air force, excuse me, uh, 49 to Minnesota, 45 to UCLA, 43 to Arizona, 42 to Oregon state. And this spread, this over under is only, 46. Um, so then let's look at Arizona State. What are they doing? Well, they allowed 34 against Oklahoma State. They allowed 30 against Eastern Michigan. They allowed 42 against USC, and they allowed 45 against Washington. Now, I understand that that says, you know, bad defenses and, and these offenses aren't that good, but this this one just really confuses me. I, I feel like this this number should be closer to 50, and uh, that's that's really all I'm really going with on this one. I, I just looking up and down and and what these teams can get. You know, and also an Arizona State minus 12 speaks a lot in this, too. I mean, they're saying Arizona State's going to put up some points. So I don't see any reason why Arizona State can't get to 35. Uh, you know, why, why can't Colorado get at least two touchdowns in this one? Can You know, considering, uh, you know, again, I read off the Arizona State numbers there through, throughout the year. So uh, I'll take the over 46 in this one. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I really feel like this one should should be closer to 50. So our next uh, game that we have here, Notre Dame, they're uh, at Syracuse, and they're the underdog yep. by a touchdown here. So what are you looking at? By three, by three. I'm so sorry. Underdog sorry. by a field goal. goal. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I'm going to go with the Irish this week. Uh, I went with the Irish two weeks ago against Stanford. Go ahead. Do you want to say something, T-Frank? No, I'm lagging. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. 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 Um, so yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, Stanford really, that Stanford one burned me. I thought that Notre Dame was going to write the ship. They got, you know, they, they, they played incredibly poorly against, against Stanford, but I'm going to go with them one more time here. I do feel like there's, I do feel like they should finish the season strong. When I when just, just kind of looking at some statistical things, they are improving in a lot of ways, but uh, this one is more so about uh, Syracuse having some injuries. Uh, it looks Syracuse is banged up on their defensive line. And right now uh, Notre Dame ranks in the top 25 and run blocking 
in the nation. And, and Syracuse ranks 115th right now in, in defensive rush success rate. Now they have a few players injured as well on their defensive line. You know, I, I think this is kind of a similar situation to Penn State last year. They, they lose P.J. Mustafer. They have some really young guys trying to fill in there. And uh, it just... I worry. I mean, I don't worry. I, I think Notre Dame is going to be able to take a, take advantage of that. I think Notre Dame should be able to control the clock in this one. And then also Notre Dame's due for some turnovers. They rank dead last in the nation right now in turnovers. Uh, I just, I obviously they need to produce more as a team, but I, that's a luck. That's kind of a luck stat as well. Uh, I just, I feel like things are going to start bouncing in their way a, a little bit more. So, um, you know, I just think Syracuse losing last week to Clemson, you know, their dream season of potentially winning an ACC and all that has been shot now. And, and really Syracuse, look, they should have lost to Purdue. If anyone watched that game earlier in the year, they, they should have lost to Virginia. I believe Virginia just missed a field goal and that's how they lost that game. I mean, they, they Syracuse has gotten, I don't want to say lucky, you know, they, they've, they've certainly earned where they're at, but there, there's been quite a few results that, um, you know, just, just, like, okay, I'll say it. They, they got lucky. Some of them, right? So um, <laughs> I was trying to think of a better word for it. But, uh, and then also just, you know, Notre Dame at home has been poor this year. But if you look at Notre Dame on the road, uh, they played really well against Ohio State in that season opener. Uh, they beat BYU. There's a neutral site game in Vegas, but they beat BYU handily. And then they upset North Carolina uh, on the road earlier this year. So I like Notre Dame getting three. I like Notre Dame money line even is a little bit as well. Um, but I, I just, I think Syracuse, uh, after that deflating loss last week with some massive injuries up front and, uh, you know, them not being able to stop the run, a lot of that just speaks, uh, you know, why, why you should take Notre Dame plus the three. Okay, so we got Missouri at South Carolina. Missouri getting mm -hmm. four points in this one. What are you looking at? Yeah, South Carolina's ranked now, guys. I didn't even realize that until I was looking at uh, the polls. They're ranked 25th in the nation now. Uh, they got a big win over Texas A&M last week, but Texas A&M is not really that good. Uh, and then, look, they beat Kentucky with Will Levis out. So when you just you start looking through their schedule, I just think they're a little bit of a, of a fraud team at the moment. I they definitely should not be a top 25 team in my eyes. But Missouri's defense is very good. Uh, looking over Missouri throughout the year, their offense is struggling, yes. Uh, but, you know, they, they stuck with that Georgia team early in the year. I think that was like a 26-22 game. I think that's the, the one Missouri game most of you guys probably actually watched this year. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they uh, a pick six cost them against Florida. They should have won that game. Uh, they also had a missed field goal uh, against Auburn that cost them that game. Uh, you know, so, so Missouri, I think this is just like just kind of like a buy low spot on, on Missouri. Uh, not to mention Missouri's beaten South Carolina three straight years in a row. And the Tigers are seven and three against the spread in their last 10 games as an underdog. You know, again, South Carolina getting ranked. They're back at home. I just feel like this is kind of a letdown spot for them and an opportunity for Missouri uh, to take advantage uh, of that. And again, I mean, this is a team that they've played well against over the last couple of years. So give me the Tigers plus four against the Gamecocks. What have we got next? Those are the ones we have up on the yeah. uh, on the graphic, which I'll put up here. What do we have I'm, after that? I'm going to just throw a couple others in here. These were games I was looking at all day, and I didn't pick them, but I've noticed throughout the years that you know those games that usually finish fifth, sixth, seventh on my list are the ones that are all winning, and then the ones that are like one, two, three are the ones we're missing at. So let's throw them in there this week. Uh, Texas A&M plus two at, against Ole Miss at home. You know, Ole Miss got exposed last week against LSU, and and I. And I, while I, I'm not sold on Texas A&M as a team, I just think this is a this is a bad spot for LSU, a good spot for A&M. By the way, A&M, I, I was reading uh, 
story earlier today. AM hasn't played at home in like almost a, a little over a month. Uh, so this is their first home game back. I just I just think it's a good spot for AM. Uh, give me them plus two. And I think Georgia's going to destroy Florida tomorrow. They're minus 22. I have no faith in Anthony Richardson. You know, Georgia has that Tennessee game coming up next. Uh, obviously, that that would point to Georgia being in a little bit of a letdown spot here. But uh, with it being, you know, a, a real rivalry game and, and them getting the opportunity to whoop up on, uh, you know, their, their border rival, I expect them to do that. I think 22 is actually still kind of low. I feel like this should be a 24-25 kind of game, um, you know, kind of spread, excuse me. Uh, last year, this game finished 34-7. to I, I could see another result similar to that. And I'm just going to throw Miami of Ohio in there, minus eight at Akron. Akron stinks. You know, they're one to seven. Joe Moorhead's trying to turn that program around. Uh, but Akron... Akron at home as a as a Akron, excuse me, Akron at home getting points has been the least profitable team in the entire nation of college football over the last three years. They are hitting like a 30% clip, um, you know, covering at a 30% clip at home in recent years. So uh, I'll, I'll take Miami of Ohio minus eight, Georgia minus 22, Texas A&M plus two. That is six different plays. And now you're going to make me pick a Penn State team that <laughs> I cannot get a read on to save my life. All right, so let's get into it. We got Penn State. They are underdogs at home. 14 and a half is what we have here. Has that stayed consistent? Because I know, was it 15 earlier? How has this yeah, line moved throughout the week? It's 15 and a half. It has dropped to 14 and a half. Um, you can still get both, though. So if you obviously, okay. if you're going to bet Penn State, make sure you get that 15 and a half. If you're going to bet Ohio State, get that 14 and a half. Uh, T. Frank, I'm going to let you start because I'll, I'll be 100% honest with you. I, I don't have a pick. I don't know what to pick. I will okay. pick before this ends, but I, I don't know. I mean, there's 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 a massive part of me that says Penn State has played well against Ohio State. 14 yep. and a half. They're at home. Like that all bodes well. And then I still have that other side of me that says I don't think Penn State's front seven can can pressure CJ Stroud. And and as good as Penn State's secondary is. Um, they can't, you know, like secondary is like a batting average as I look at it, right? Like if you're, yeah. if you're, if you're winning 30, 40% of the time, like you're doing an awesome job. Yep. And I just don't, if you're not getting pressure on the quarterback, you know, that that's what those percentages are going to be. Ohio State's going to yeah. win 70% of the time. So just what's your thoughts? Go take me through. Well, you're, you're right. And so it's individually too, right? You can't hide as much when you have CJ Stroud with a clean pocket as you can against some other quarterbacks that might not find the open receiver. Uh, Stroud, I don't think he's the best processor Penn State has seen, but he is the best overall quarterback by by far. You know, so when we start parsing these things and people want to pick out something you said to take it as bulletin board material, great. But like CJ Stroud, there are mistakes on film. There are some inaccuracies when you get around his feet on film. But then he comes right back and throws something that just makes no sense, like layering a ball over the linebackers in front of the safety that is an NFL throw. Like that's just mm -hmm. plain and simple. It's an NFL throw from an NFL prospect, a quarterback. And that's, that's the situation you find yourself in. You can be a DB that is great in college. And Joey Porter jr. Has been a great college DB low key. Kalen King has been better this year though, in terms of fewer mistakes being stickier in coverage and uh, suffocating. But both of those guys are great. So to me, it comes down to how is Penn state going to play what is the plan of attack for Manny Diaz? Because he's just like Jim Knowles is new here. Uh, Manny Diaz is new here, but they both play similar styles, right? So this is still, this is a full-on Brent Pry game in a lot of ways. Everyone's running a 4-2. Everyone has similar architecture, but they do things differently. So we've seen Diaz play off at times, and we've seen him not be as aggressive. And then we've seen him be kamikaze blitz guy. 
who shows up? What does he lean on? And and that's to me the biggest question because in this game, this is the most balanced attack we've seen from Ryan Day specifically. And I would say going back even further, this is the most balanced attack we've seen from Ohio State because Urban Meyer's teams were not balanced. They were they were run teams. They were they were they were quarterback option teams. So the passing game was really a sidecar on on the running game. This team can do both. So do you load up and stop the run and trust your corners? Or do you say, okay, we've done a great job of stopping zone teams this year. And Penn State has done a good job of stopping zone-based teams, inside and outside zone. In a lot of ways, this is this was my analysis coming into the Michigan game of Penn State plays well against inside zone because they come downhill. Michigan didn't run that. They ran something completely different. If Ohio State runs their base offense inside outside zone, does Diaz say we can stop that or we can limit it reasonably with our base packaging and we don't have to over allocate resources? If that's the case, Penn State can play with Ohio State. I, I think they can mix it up enough. They can do enough of those things that they can really play a balanced game and force Ohio State to play a balanced game, which to me brings the point total down. And I just don't know what the plan is, right? And and is there going to be a wrinkle? Are they going to do something different that we haven't seen this year? So are they going to drop eight? You know, say we're not going to get pressure on CJ Stroud because the tackles are that good and Chop and Adisa Isaac are good, but are they going to save us? Are they going to be the line in the sand? I, You know, I'm just spitballing here. And, and that's that mm-hmm. from an offensive perspective on the other side. I struggle to find where Penn State's going to get the points. Because the way you attack this team, you know, I I kind of viewed this of some open receivers. Iowa had some open guys running down the field, uh, but you just can't find them because the pass rush is so good. And eventually this Jim Knowles defense, the way it works, the, the defensive scheme in the secondary, it is very good at zone coverage and pass offs and things like that. But I don't know that this secondary is fully integrated yet, kind of like Manny Diaz's system. So how do you attack downfield if you are missing your right tackle? I believe Salim Wernley's banged up, and he played banged up last week, and you don't have Landon Tangwall, so you are down to the exhaust fumes on your offensive line, which isn't going to be able to run the football, at least in my estimation. And you know, talking no. to some people, Ohio State, if there's another thing that has been a massive shift from last year, they stop the run. Like they, they, they are uh, they major in stopping the run. Tommy Eichenberg, the defensive line, they're back to doing that. So if Penn State tries to set up the run, if they try to, this is why I asked James Franklin on Tuesday, what is your philosophical belief in establish the run? We have to run first to legitimize our offense. If that's the plan of attack coming into the game, Penn State's going to get behind. Like I just, I mm-hmm. think that's a trouble because that's what that was part of the problem at Minnesota. A lot of running uh, early and running on early downs and running at the first play of every drive and some of these kind of repetitive things we've seen from Mike Yersich, which I'm starting to believe is more of a Yersich thing than it is kind of a directive from on high. Like the idea of running and we have mm-hmm. to run more is coming from Franklin in my estimation of, you know, what's the percentages of James Franklin isn't calling all the bad plays and Yersich calling all the good ones, but Franklin does have a say and an influence in what they're doing on both sides of the football. So those are my questions coming into this week. And it's how Penn state plays this game that I think is going to determine the outcome. So my 
prediction was 31 20. So I have them I have them covering. Um, I don't think you can stop Ohio State forever from getting points, but I do think this defense is going to hold them to like a season low outside of the first game of the season. I could see maybe even a little lower if Penn State things go their way off uh, defensively. So that's kind of my read of this game, not knowing the wild cards of what what haven't you done on film that you are going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't I, I'm so torn on this game, if you can't tell. I, I mean, if I had to make a pick, I kind of like under 61 because yeah. I just I feel like, you know, if 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 their defense can punch Ohio State in the mouth for a little bit. Right. And just yeah. kind of keep them keep it low scoring for the first 20 minutes or so of this game. You know, 61 still a high number. And and I, I do think that Penn State will. I, I do think Penn State's going to struggle to, to, to get some points. I mean, they have to score 31 points or 30 yep. points to win this game. I, I just don't oh, know if that's going to happen. Yep. Yeah, I, I, like I in my eyes, I see I see Ohio State getting to 31, 35, and I see Penn State maybe cracking the 20s, maybe. Yep. But, you know, that's still, that still puts us under, under 61. So I think that's what I'll go with for my official play because I really, like, I didn't even spend time on it to <laughs> because I, like, this is Penn State this year, though. That's what's so frustrating about Penn State is it's yeah. just it is a taller roller coaster, man. And the the, the games that were kind of predictable uh, were the ones that obviously we didn't we didn't pick in the in the very beginning. Um, you know, even Central Michigan and Northwestern and stuff. I mean, it's just been it's just been such a roller coaster ride. But I yeah. know Penn State's going to come out and play in this one. Uh, you know, they always give their best effort, but you know, Ohio State's going to give their best effort too, and that's why these games have been uh, you know fun fun for some periods for yeah. for you know outside watchers or anybody whether it's both fans or or a neutral fan but uh yeah i i think i'll go under 61 i think there's a little bit of value there penn state's defense can uh you know hold strong in the beginning but depth is going to be an issue it always is yeah. an issue and I, I do think in the second half uh the buckeyes will run away with it a little bit so i mean the one the one thing i will to say is you know you were talking about the run game there i was looking through uh you know just advanced stats this week you know penn state's uh what is Penn State? I'm sorry, I'm trying to pull it up here. Oh, Penn State's outside the top 100 in rushing success rate this year. Like we, yep. there's been this mindset that Penn State's running the ball better, but they're not. They're really no. not running the no. ball that much better. Yeah, they have a couple more long runs this year, and that's kind of helped some, some, you know, kind of helped some stats. But I, and I know, like people are like, well, if you just pull those runs away, you can't really do that because you can't pull everyone's big runs away. But you know, it is only just a handful of of, of long runs that have. Uh, I think change some people's perspectives, but for the most yeah. part, there, there's not much has changed. So that is that strikes at the heart of the conversation and kind of my the sticking point with the offense and and the last two weeks of kind of the trail of thought I've been on is if you want to establish the run, it doesn't have as much to do with the tight ends. Like it does not mm -hmm. have as much to do with the tight ends as it does the offensive line, anyone on the line. And, and if you've got one good tight end, that's a run blocker and you've got one or two good offensive linemen run blockers. And this was the conversation. Can you get higher highs, higher peaks, and then everyone play a baseline. Then you can get some of that consistency. You can get those popping those big runs, but also a little bit consistency that has not materialized. So I think Penn state needs to throw in this game. And here is the sticking point. Everyone knows that. Mm -hmm. uh, Ohio State, that's the whole point of what they've been doing is like get you to throw the football so that they can take eight or nine uh, five star offensive uh, defensive linemen and attack the quarterback, which, again, when you are in a situation where Penn State's right tackle, even at full strength, 
was a huge red flag in those situ situations, scenarios. This is going to take a brilliant effort by, by everyone. Mike Yersich down, the quarterback, guys making plays outside of themselves and things they have not done this year. And also, you know, and, and a lot of that falls on the quarterback's shoulders to read and be right and take, mm -hmm. you know, that step and elevate instead of what happens around you dictates how you play. That's going to be tough because I think they need to throw to set up the the run and, and establish some threats, some legitimate, okay, we're going to be able to get to the tight ends this game. You've got to defend the flats. You've got to be able to defend uh, the intermediate down the middle of the field part. You can't trigger downhill every time you read run. And that is what opened up a lot of those running lanes against Minnesota who had a good run defense. They weren't, they cut, they did, they, they didn't come in as a fraud in that game. They were legitimately had talent that could stop the run, but you forced them in a situation where they couldn't assume the run. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you got to get to with Ohio state. It's just harder. It's just, it's just harder to do that. And you know, that would be the, that would be the ideal scenarios to get them off balance and show maybe some weaknesses we haven't seen on film. Some things that we have not seen guys can't do or guys are, are struggling with uh, the safeties are good, but I do think you can attack zones down the field and, and doing that, being able to do that sets everything else up. We've got nothing else to add to you, Frank. <laughs> I'm going to go with you on this one. I, All right. I have no read on this team. I, and it's, I know it's pathetic, right? I'm a journalist. I, I cover this team. This should be the team. I have a better read on than anybody, but that just speaks for Penn state this year. And it's not, it's not like even just us. Like I, I obviously yeah. I read a lot of national journalists. I read the Bill Conley's of the world. I, I read a lot of people who, uh, you know, uh, against the spread. You know, I, I, I focus on that stuff. I read it constantly all throughout the week. And everybody's just like, I don't know how to pick Penn State games this year. Like if if we if we just kept Penn State games out of my picks, you know, I'd be well above <laughs> five hundred. You know, like it's just yeah. I can't get it. Read on overs, unders, spreads. It, it everything's been difficult with this team. So I'll go under 61. I'm, I'm thinking maybe Penn state's defense can, uh, you know, play well for, for the first 20, 25 minutes of this game, keep it close at halftime. I mean, actually, I guess actually one thing I would say is a play that I more, I think about is maybe plus seven and a half for Penn state uh, for the first half, because I do think it's that second half uh, that's going to, that's going to give them issues. So we'll go under 61 and uh, you know, maybe plus seven and a half if you guys like that, but you know, for the most part, to pick the other ones I did. Don't don't pick <laughs> don't pick anything I'm saying with Penn State or fade me really if you want. Yeah, probably fade me. That's probably the best way to do it. Yeah, the problem with Penn State so far has been the general lack of consistency in what they do well because mm -hmm. the you know run defense and that's been good in certain games and that's been an identity in certain games. But given the nature of the teams they played in those situations and then kind of the the Michigan game, which is mm -hmm. a huge outlier. Like if you look at the scope of the season that was a huge outlier in a lot of different facets, but it did happen. So it is a weakness that if again, if Ohio State says, OK, we're not running zone as much, we're going to dip into what some of the other things we do. We're going to pull our linemen. We're going to get out in space. I think Penn State's prepared for that weakness now. They'll they'll have a an answer. Maybe they'll be asking safeties to fill and linebackers to backfill in that situation. But it's still a weakness. It's still a thing that we've seen in their basic DNA teams have massively taken advantage of it so it, it also depends on what the other team is trying to do in that game uh hopefully hopefully and and the general 
the general reaction to this week on the BWI Daily Edition has been, why are we even listening or watching this game? Because Ohio State is so good and you guys are just licking their boots. So hopefully <laughs> this has provided a good balance of talking more about Penn State this week because genuinely we're trying to inform you about what the Buckeyes are. And this is kind of why I've had this tone this week is this is the most dangerous team I've seen them bring to Happy Valley. Mm-hmm. It's balanced in a way that they haven't been. It's good at multiple levels in a way that they haven't been. This team is a national championship favorite, in my opinion. I, I haven't seen a lot of Georgia, but I know that their offense isn't consistent. Mm-hmm. This team will find out how good they are when they play Penn State. And if they blow Penn State out, I think that says more about Ohio State than it does Penn State, that this team is genu- right. genuinely the next generational team we'll talk about. So that's kind of the setting that table and how Penn State plays them reveals some of the weaknesses we haven't seen more information, maybe a blueprint how to stop Ohio State. You know, like that could be a part of the conversation, too. Uh, and that's what's on the table this weekend. That Those are the stakes outside of the winning and the losing. And I find that super fascinating. Ryan, thank you so much for doing the show today. As always, Friday is mm-hmm. a, a fun day because I, I enjoy these conversations on the show. So thanks for coming on. Of course, man. Anytime. Tom Hannafin is back for the BWI live postgame show. That's coming up tomorrow directly after Penn State and Ohio State. Come with whatever emotions you have. We will be discussing that, taking your questions, and uh, breaking down the game. What happened and the instant reaction of why it happened, the instant emotion of why it happened. Uh, I, I love it when Tom's there because he can relate emotionally more. He's, he's, he's less of a... Uh, He's less cold than I am when it comes to (laughs) fan emotion. So we'll have the full platter for you after the game. This is the last BWI Daily Edition of the week. Please subscribe as always. And thank you for tuning in. We'll be back on Monday. But don't forget, live show coming up after the game.